0: Welcome to the Red Words Podcast, where we pursue a personal relationship with God the Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Join us weekly as we deep dive into the dynamic and oftentimes curious, Holy Spirit-inspired book of God's Word. This week, we explore the fourth letter to the churches in Asia Minor. And once again, the Lord Jesus Christ brings to the reader's awareness a character from the Old Testament, this time a woman, a queen, who is the epitome of evil. Let's begin with Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. To the messenger of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God, whose eyes are like flaming fire and whose feet are like glowing bronze, says this, I know what you've been doing your love faithfulness service and endurance and that your last actions are greater than the first the lord raises the bar on his identifiers to make the listener aware of the seriousness of his message it's important to understand that the lord wants every single human being to read these letters of instructions and turn away from the world away from evil and return to god for god is the power and glory and majesty forever God is all-forgiving to those who seek His forgiveness. More than anything, God wants to see His beloved High Creation live with Him for all eternity, happy, content, peaceful, and joyful. God alone can be trusted to provide full and ultimate forgiveness, because He sent the One whom He loved most to secure our salvation. Believers can stand confidently before the throne of God in full assurance of our righteousness because we are wiped clean and white by His Son's holy blood. Amen. Jesus identifies Himself as the Son of God. This is the only place in the book of Revelation where He does this. And He describes eyes that see everything. His gaze burns gaping holes through all humanity's feeble attempts to hide their sinful hearts. He is fully capable of judgment because he is all-present. He knows everything, and he is all-powerful. Along with eyes like fire, his reference to feet of bronze or brass indicates Levitical priestly judgment because the lavers for sacrifice were made of bronze. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, but he is also our high priest. The combination is highly unusual in Jewish law and occurs just three times in the Bible. King Melchizedek, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord's Church. Believers will be kings and priests in the Lord Jesus Christ's Millennial Kingdom. Wow. This Lord Jesus, who will be our judge, is telling the church at Thyatira that he knows what they've been doing. Once again, it is such a comfort to see that the Lord separates those who are doing his good works from those who are not. Jesus sees within a group and will not judge the group as a whole. He will reward those who love him, and he will judge and punish those who do evil against him. One cannot hide within a group, for the Lord Jesus Christ will hold each person responsible for their actions. Jesus gently tells this group of believers how much it means to him to see their love towards others, their faithfulness to him and to each other their wholehearted service to him, and their endurance throughout persecution. He acknowledges that they have grown in their service, and their actions now are greater than when they first began. High praise indeed. And then Jesus turns his gaze to those within the church at Thyatira, who are the exact opposite. Verses 20 through the first part of 23 reads, But I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and who teaches and seduces my servants to commit fornication and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refused to repent of her fornication. Look, I am going to strike her with illness. Those who commit adultery with her will also suffer greatly unless they repent from acting like her. I will strike her children dead. The Lord is incredibly powerful and precise in his wording here. He raises the bar of seriousness so that it cannot be ignored. He will not allow this particular immoral woman to continue leading anyone astray. No more idolatry. No more eating the foods that are sacrificed to idols. No more paganism. No more man worship. Jesus likens this woman to the Old Testament queen Jezebel in First and 2 Kings. Top that off with the fact that the mighty Lord Jesus will not allow anyone in the church to tolerate this woman either. He's done with nicey-nice. He wants his believers to stand strong in righteousness. Take note that we are not dealing with the meek and humble, sacrificial servant lamb Messiah here. That Jesus is past, for he came and conquered death on that saving cross. It is done. This is the powerful Lord Jesus Christ, present and future, the resurrected and transformed holy and avenging son of mighty Yahweh. This Lord Jesus wields the sword of the Word of God, and he will not hesitate to cut down all who cling to evil. Jesus is also not going to wait any longer for this woman to repent. He's given her enough time, and her conscious refusal is noted. She does not get another chance. This is highly unusual, but Jesus is quite firm here because he knows this woman will not change and therefore exposes herself to his righteous judgment. Jesus will strike her with illness. Some translations use the words violent illness and intense suffering. Along with that, anyone within the church at Thyatira who continues to tolerate this woman will also suffer. For it is their personal decision as well. Jesus holds each person accountable, but notice that Jesus gives the people who tolerate this woman a chance to repent. You see, Jesus keeps offering forgiveness to people. If he observes, they still have even the tiniest chance of salvation. If they repent, he provides ultimate forgiveness. He is as amazing within his tolerance as he is powerful in his judgment towards those who flat out refuse to abandon evil. So, just how evil is this Old Testament woman named Queen Jezebel? Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30. Now Ahab, the son of Omari, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him, and it came to pass as though it has been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Who is King Ahab? He is the king of the northern kingdom Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah, where the city of Jerusalem is located. As this passage indicates, the northern kingdom had been ruled by many evil kings, with King Ahab listed as the worst of the worst. King Ahab went against God, as though it was but a trivial thing, and married a pagan woman who was the daughter of a king named Ethbaal, who worshipped the most evil god, Baal, along with the goddess Asherah, known as the Mother of Heaven. God had commanded that no Israelite marry outside the twelve tribes. Ahab didn't care about God or his commands and did as he pleased. Ahab brought Baal, which is Satan worship, into the northern kingdom, and evil permeated throughout the land. There is no greater evil that permeates a person than one who worships Satan, and this king sought a wife who did just that. And we will see this ever-present evil in Queen Jezebel as well, for she demonstrated a particularly open hatred towards God's people. Now, during the reign of King Ahab, God sent the prophet Elijah to repulse the king's evil nature. Talk about the coolest guy ever. Elijah was a whirlwind of counter-evil activity for the Lord, as we will soon discover. Elijah repeatedly warned King Ahab of God's coming judgment if Ahab continued to disobey the Almighty. Ahab, being who he was, blamed Elijah for all his woes and troubles, even though it was his promotion of idolatry that brought forth God's wrath upon him and his kingdom. Now, let's explore Queen Jezebel. She was the daughter of King Ethbaal, who murdered his brother so he could rule over the land of Tyre or Sidonia. Jezebel strongly followed in her father's footsteps and quickly took control over her pitifully weak-minded husband. She brought more than 850 Baal and Asherah priests from her homeland and openly declared her hatred against God's people by ordering the slaughter of the Northern Kingdom prophets. Their deaths made it easy for her to turn Israel away from God and into idol worshippers. Unbeknownst to Ahab and Jezebel, 100 of Israel's prophets escaped the slaughter and hid in caves. Elijah also escaped. After the prophets were out of the way, the queen built altars to Baal and set up Asherah poles throughout the country. Putting her priests to work, Jezebel easily convinced the northern kingdom to worship Baal and Asherah. God called Elijah against Jezebel and had him call down a three-year-long drought. Toward the end of that period, the lack of pasture got so bad, King Ahab nearly destroyed all his army's forces. Interestingly, in 1 Kings 18, 16-46, the drought culminated in a contest between Elijah and Jezebel's 850 Baal and Asherah priests. To paraphrase, Elijah met with King Ahab, who blamed Elijah for the drought. Elijah rebutted the king, telling Ahab that he abandoned God to follow Baal, and now God wanted to prove to his people Israel that he was their God. God ordered Elijah to tell Ahab to assemble all Israel on Mount Carmel and bring the Baal and Asherah priests with him. Ahab took up the challenge, and the people of the northern kingdom gathered on Mount Carmel along with the Baal and Asherah priests. Elijah stood alone, opposite the people of the northern kingdom, King Ahab and the priests. Elijah addressed the nation, asking how long they would go between their true God and Satan's priests. He challenged the people Israel, If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if it is Baal, then follow him instead. When the people remained silent, Elijah told them, Only I am left as a prophet of God, but Baal's priests are 450 men and Asherah another 400. Elijah set up the challenge by asking for two bulls. He had the priests choose their bull, slaughter it, cut it, and lay the pieces on a wood altar. Elijah ordered no fire be set underneath the altar. Then Elijah laid out the rules of the contest. The priests of Baal and Asherah were to call upon their gods to have them consume the offering. Elijah said he would call upon the one true God, who answers by fire. And the people of Israel said this was good. Elijah turned to the priests, and they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us! But nothing happened. The priests limped around the altar, shouting, And at noon, Elijah mocked them, telling the priests to shout louder for perhaps their God was contemplating or relieving himself, or he had gone on a journey, or maybe their God was sleeping and needed to be roused. The priests wailed and moaned and cut themselves with swords and lances until their blood spilled upon their altar. But nothing happened. The priests raged on until late afternoon, but to no avail. Elijah told the people Israel, Come near to me. And they came. Together they helped Elijah repair the altar that was assigned to him with twelve large stones, one for each of the tribes of Israel. They laid wood upon the stones and the bull upon the wood and then dug a large trench around the altar. Then Elijah told the people to fill four large jugs with water and douse the meat, wood, and stones. He told them to do this again. And then a third time, the water ran throughout the altar and then filled the trench with water. Elijah came near the altar and called out to God, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then fire from God came out of the sky and consumed the offering, wood, stones, and the dust thereof. And then the fire licked up the water that was in the trench When the people saw this, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God! The Lord, He is God! At that, Elijah called the people to seize the priests of Baal, that not one of them would escape. And the people did as he asked, and Elijah brought them down off Mount Carmel, and they were killed. Elijah went to King Ahab and told him to eat and drink, for there was rain on the horizon. The king ate atop Mount Carmel, and while he ate, Elijah sent his servant up to scan the skies over the ocean. Seven times he sent the servant, and on the seventh, the servant returned with news that a storm was brewing over the ocean. Elijah told King Ahab to hurry up and finish his meal and mount his chariot so that he wouldn't get caught in the rain. The heavens grew black, and a huge storm ended the drought. When Ahab told Jezebel what Elijah had done, instead of realizing she needed to turn to God and repent, she vowed to kill Elijah. He fled into the wilderness of Beersheba in the southern nation of Judah. Jezebel continued in her evil ways, and when her husband was unable to obtain a privately owned vineyard that he greatly desired next to his palace, she ridiculed Ahab for his childish sulking and told him she would get it for him. Naboth, the owner of the vineyard, was a righteous man unto God. He refused Ahab's offer to purchase his land because it was important to maintain his inheritance. He was approached by two men, hired by Queen Jezebel, who accused him wrongly of a deed he did not commit. Then Jezebel found Naboth guilty and had him put to death. She claimed the vineyard and then presented it to her husband. Returning now back to Revelation chapter 2 and the rest of verse 23 through 29. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches minds and hearts. I will reward each of you as your actions deserve. But as for the rest of you in Thyatira, you who do not hold to this teaching and who have not learned what some people call the deep things of Satan, I won't burden you with anything else. Just hold on to what you have until I come. To the person who conquers and continues to do what I've commanded to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter, shattering them like clay pots. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. Let everyone listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. After the Lord tells the church at Thyatira that he will strike this woman's children dead, he declares that all the other churches will understand his omniscience, that he knows their hearts and minds and will reward those whose actions deserve his reward. Jesus is careful to speak to the rest of the church who refused to tolerate this woman and did not allow themselves to be part of Satan worship. Jesus asks them to hold on until he comes. This is the first time in the book of Revelation that Jesus shares his plans about returning to retrieve his beloved believers. He encourages the overcomers to continue to do as he's commanded, for he will give them authority over the nations in his millennial kingdom. This is a remarkable statement of contrast, because Queen Jezebel desired full control over the northern kingdom of Israel, but never obtained it. And Satan boasted to God that he would control the nations. He even tempted Jesus with this promise, if Jesus would bow down and worship him. Of course, Jesus refused. But it is true that right now, Satan has the deed to earth. But he will not possess it forever, for the mighty Lord Jesus Christ will claim what rightfully belongs to him on his second coming. But that is much later in the book of Revelation Jesus goes on to explain that the one who overcomes will be given the morning star. Wow, what a beautiful gift, for this is the first beam of light from the sun on a brand new day. It is also one of Jesus' many names. In closing, the Lord shares his desire that he who has ears let him hear and understand the importance of his letters to the churches. And so, dear friends, take heed of the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God today as you seek a deeper personal relationship with Him. Thank you for joining me, and know that the Lord Jesus Christ loves you very much, and so do we. Until next week, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen and amen.